this Friday afternoon. And of course, it's time for the Agenda Cafe. And I'd love to welcome back to the studio our wonderful co-host, Karen Ko. Karen, it's great to see you. How are you doing? I'm great, Noreen. How are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Friday again, end of the week. We made it through. Exactly. <laughs> and we've got a wonderful, well, a big topic uh, for our guests, uh, for, for our listeners today. Yes, exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of a serious topic. Um, it's something we touched on very briefly earlier in the year. Uh, basically, we're talking, uh, taking a look at the impact of COVID-19 on family relationships and essentially whether more couples are seeking divorces. So as we know, the coronavirus pandemic has been stressful for everyone. In addition to worrying about the spread of the actual disease, many people are also worried about or they've already been affected by secondary impacts. Things like losing their job or worrying about business drying up and uh, seeing their children's education affected. And also being asked or forced to stay at home has been a major stressor for many families, especially here in Hong Kong, where most people's apartments are small and it can be really hard to carve out some personal space. So we're going to be talking about how couples are coping. And we're joined by two guests. Uh, we have Rita Koo and Samantha Gershon. And Rita and Samantha are both partners in the divorce and family team at the law firm Withers. So Rita and Samantha, Welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Thank you. So, thank you um, for having us. Thank you for, for coming on. Earlier in the year in the show, we touched very briefly on the legal aspects of divorce, but we focused um, more on co-parenting. But let's talk about, in general, um, how COVID-19 has been impacting marital relationships. Samantha, would you like to, to go first? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, well, obviously, it's had both negative and positive impact. So I'll touch on the negative impact first, and then Rita can finish off with the positive aspects of things. So negativity, Karen, as you touched on, you know, it's had a terrible strain on marriages. Uh, people have had financial problems. They've been trapped together uh, in small apartments. But here, we haven't been on complete lockdown. So that's been something that means it hasn't had a drastic input. But the strains have been there. People have not been able to travel. They've been spending longer time together when they're used to being apart sometimes. They're not being able to go on holiday. They've been losing their jobs and that's been creating the pressures. So indeed, there's been a lot of problems and that's creating an, an impact. Yeah, exactly. So, so Rita, what is the bright side? Well, I think we should always see the bright side of, of a matter. Uh, so it gives us energy. Uh, for the bright side that I can observe is that actually everyone has to stay at home or they spend more time at home. Uh, I think um, like the busy parents, suddenly they find that they are at home. They have more bonding time with the kids. So I think this is something good for the kids. Then they could see their father, the busy father, the busy mother more than ever. So this is something good for them. And also they can't go out. So they might be doing more um, games or exercises together, which is good. Uh, for me, it's concerned. I think during this COVID period, I started baking. So this is something <laughs> that I've never done. I've never done in the past, but 
because I have nothing to do, so I started baking. So I think we can see things in a positive side too. A lot of people, I think, were bonding over baking and food, right? Yes. Yeah. So everyone is getting better. <laughs> so one thing I'm curious about, you know, on on the with the couples who are not doing so well, I mean, I, I'm thinking the pandemic's not the cause of their troubles, but really just the the aggravator, maybe the last straw. So so maybe some couples would have gone on and been able to bear it under normal circumstances, but with all the the secondary effects of the pandemic, they just find, okay, we just can't do this anymore. Do you, do you find that reflected at all? I, I think that's that's right. If, you know, you've got a good, healthy marriage, then you're going to cope and get through these things. But if the cracks were there anyway, then the cracks are going to get wider and you're not going to be able to cope with with those outside factors. And one of the things that is also interesting is uh, maybe not for people who've been married a very, very long time, but if you've been married for just a few years um, and have never gone through a negative period, maybe it's exposed some fundamental differences uh, between the members of the couple that they never talked about before. Things like, you know, what's your attitude towards towards medical um, uh, treatment and health and safety or money or childcare um, uh, duties at home. Yeah, and actually I think this period there are a lot of uncertainties on job-wise, on life-wise, on children-wise. So um, it is a difficult time for everyone um, at this moment. I think in the whole world it's very difficult because it is once-in-a-lifetime experience. Uh, but there are always solutions to deal with this. Again, there are positive and negative mm -hmm. side. It prompts pe uh, people, people to discuss more about the issues. But if it doesn't turn out to be right, then it goes to the bad side, which is uh, the possible divorce. But I think uh, divorce is a serious issue to be, to be decided. So with all sorts of uncertainties, um, there are... People might be, even though they have in mind thinking about divorce as the word, but they might be reluctant to raise it because they don't know whether their entitlements will be compromised as a result of all these uncertainties. So after all, it's just an uncertain time. Yeah, well, um, Rita, you, you talked about these uncertainties, you know, with job losses mm. and the future. Mm. And Samantha, earlier you talked about these cracks and the re relationships. What, what are some of these common cracks that, that you've seen um, or, or that we're seeing right now um, that COVID has brought about? Well, I think we can put it like for the divorcing couples, the main cracks now, especially if they have children, there are a lot of issues about children whether the children staying at home be counted as a holiday. If so, then the other spouse might have equal time with the kids, but then the other spouse might be saying, no, 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 it's a critical time. They should be staying at home even though they are doing e-learning. Uh, so arguments of this is uh, very common amongst uh, the divorcing couples. Yeah. And we're also getting arguments about then where to bring up the children and education-wise, should they then be going to be schooled abroad? Is it safer to then let them go to boarding school in another country or should they carry on being educated in Hong Kong? So a, a lot of couples are arguing about that at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Are we seeing a spike in divorce uh, here in Hong Kong at the moment then? 
Well, we're getting a lot of inquiries at the moment. We ha we're not necessarily getting people who are applying to get divorced, actually going through the pr process, but we're getting a lot of inquiries at the moment. People wanted to know what are their rights, what would happen if they did get divorced, uh, what are their remedies, but not actually putting in the divorce petition and sort of going for it. Mm. Yeah, the other reason why we can't see a real spike as yet because the court registry has been closed for a few right. months. Right. So uh, people cannot file for divorce during those periods unless it is really, really urgent. So uh, it is too early to say that there is a spike or how many, how the numbers of the, uh, of the divorce since the COVID. But certainly there are a lot of inquiries about possible divorce uh, to ascertain their rights. Mm. Now, can you just, um, for our listeners, and actually to refresh ourselves as well, what, what are the grounds for divorce in Hong Kong and what, what's the legal process? Well, okay, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, well, we can rely on several grounds. Uh, well, even though a lot of us, when we are watching TV, people are talking about separation. But separation is not just the only way as the reason for divorce, uh, there could be unreasonable behavior. During the COVID, I think we can't use separation because we are all living under the same roof, but it's very likely that people will rely on, um, on unreasonable behavior, especially when we are all living in such a small apartment. There could be violence uh, on, the, on the couples, that it is unreasonable behavior. Or during this time, there are lots and lots of arguments about the day-to-day -day running or some, um, it's just the mindset difference. So, so there could be arguments. Then people can rely on this as re unreasonable behavior for the divorce. And one thing that we should know that divorce can be an incredibly long process. It can be quite expensive, quite costly um, also. And, and there are several parts to divorce, especially if you have children involved. Uh, for, from our understanding that there's the, the grounds of divorce. And once you get granted that, um, there's the, the, the matters of the kids, which is also a separate um, matter. And then you've got the finances also. Yeah. And, and each of them are, are not necessarily linked with each other. It, is that right, Samantha and Rita? Well, well, the, the best the children are, are always looked after first, and what's in the best interest of the children is what's of paramount importance. And there can be financial elements of the case relating to the children. There may need to be maintenance for the children, but the actual finances in relation to the the whole of the case may be separate from the children so in that case they're separated but children are always looked at first you need to make sure that the children are have their the access rights finances for the children everything needs to be sorted out first and then you look at the general finances so yeah for a quick mm. divorce uh, usually it takes at least six to eight nine months I okay. think that's the shortest time. And for these cases, it will be a very amicable settlement with terms agreed. Um, on those process, then there will not be a requirement to go to the court if parties can agree on terms. But if there are arguments, either on children or on finances, the process can be delayed as long as uh, one, two years at least. And I have a case that lasted for nine years. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
Well, that's that's good for business, but bad for for, for, their, <laughs> yes. for, for their wallet. Yeah. But I, I do want to sort of um, understand this point a little bit more. I mean, as divorce lawyers, you you both also um, also advocate that divorce should be the last step, and that the, mm-hmm. that there are other means to solve problems. I mean, what about those couples? I mean, like you said earlier, divorce is not the first thing that comes to to, to couples' minds. Um, what are the interim uh, measures before that final step of of separation? and divorce well obviously divorce camp is the last step um and when clients come to see us you know it's an emotional step as well you know they've got to be ready for it and sometimes clients come to us for advice and you know that they're not ready for it you know that you have to say to them that they're that they're not i mean sometimes they may need to see a counselor sometimes they need emotional help they may need to see a psychologist there may may lots of steps that we can't help them with as lawyers um so there's lots of elements to that divorce process um and it's important that they're ready for it and they're ready to go through that step because if it is especially if it's going to end up being acrimonious it really isn't easy. And if it's going to take years, that's a huge emotional burden on them. And they've got to be strong enough to go through that. Do, do it's you... becoming more, more complicated, especially when there are children involved. Yes. Uh, uh, usually, especially when they're ready, they're not ready. We will advise them to go to marriage counselling um, so that to see whether both of them can get together and agree uh, or to to work together to save their marriage. Uh, this is always what we are encouraging the clients before they take the final step. Do you, do you ever find uh, that there are people who, in in the heat of the moment during an argument, say, "Okay, that's it. I want to divorce you," just because that gets a response or that gets you know that it makes them feel like, "Okay, I have some alternative," rather than continuing to argue with my spouse. And then realize, oh, this is a much bigger thing than simply saying those words. Oh, I'm sh- I'm sure there's lots of people that end up saying <laughs> dropping that. the D bomb. Um, yes, <laughs> and, and and so maybe then they'll come and see us for a consultation, and then and learn what the process really is, and they say, oh, maybe not now. Right. Maybe I'll 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 come and see you another time if it really is that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is really an important decision for them. So usually they will come for advice and understand their options. Then they will go back and possibly talk to their families, talk to their friends before they make the final decision. Yeah. Um, you know, when there are children involved, it complicates the matter entirely. I, I want to bring this discussion back to sort of the impact of COVID-19, that we're mm. seeing a lot of families being separated um, just by default. Um, for example, back in January and, and February, things were, weren't looking so good in Hong Kong. And many families chose to perhaps go back to the UK or go to other places um, just to, to not be in the midst of China and Hong Kong for, for, for this uh, pandemic. Um, I have a question about sort of international child abduction, just bringing it because it, it can be a question uh, for divorce. Let's say, for example, uh, a wife of an expat family who originally were based in Hong Kong and then moved back to the UK, th- their country of origin, uh, with, say, their son since February uh, because of COVID-19. And then during that period, she decides to divorce her husband, who's still living in Hong Kong. Um is that a form of abduction or, or is you know how can the father get access to his son well dealing with the first part about adopt uh, abduction well i don't 
I think there will be a difficulty for the mother to argue that, oh, they have already formed a habitual residence in the overseas jurisdiction. Uh, I believe that when they move to overseas, it is agreed by the husband and also on the understanding that they are trying to avoid this pandemic to move to a safer place for the interests of the family. On that basis, if the mother and the children refuse to return to Hong Kong, it is possible for the husband to issue a Hague proceedings for the return of the children because Hague proceedings deals with the habitual residence. Mm. Uh, I don't Which think is in staying Hong Kong. in mm. yes. yeah, yes. and staying overseas for that purposes, I don't think is a habitual residence. Okay. What we were getting um, in the beginning, sort of January, February, is people who were already in divorce proceedings were making applications to the court when their spouse refused to allow them to travel, they were asking the court to allow them to travel to a different country to get out of Hong Kong because they felt oh, Hong Kong was unsafe due to COVID. And the court was granting a lot of those applications because they felt that being out of Hong Kong was safer. But, but of course, <laughs> then people were then rushing back to Hong Kong a few months later. Whereas, of course, now, if someone made that application, it would be very difficult for a judge to know what country would be safer than Hong Kong. Yes. Right. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be a judge making that decision. Yeah, yeah. actually, so... this is a life example because uh, recently I had the case. Is uh, They are exactly in this situation. Uh, the mother and the children moved to UK with the father's consent. And now the father wanted the children to come back. So we were in court and the court decided that, well, at, not at this moment, but a few weeks ago, clearly Hong Kong's is better mm. than in UK. So in the end, the judge ordered the children to return to Hong Kong. Wow. And was, was this a couple who were planning to divorce? They are divorcing. Oh, they are. Wow. Okay. These judges so, have crystal balls. Right. Not, <laughs> an, easy, not an easy task at all. Um, no. So this is happening in real life uh, right now. Uh, people have moved overseas with the consent of their spouse, and then, mm. um, and then the, the courts get to interfere to, to rule that the the spouse and the children have to return back to Hong Kong. Then, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, well, this is certainly a very interesting topic and we will continue uh, with the Agenda Cafe uh, with Rita and also Samantha after the 2.30 news uh, with also our co-host Karen Ko uh, this Friday afternoon. Uh, feel free to also drop us an email in the course of uh, now and three o'clock. If you have any thoughts or any comments, our email address is 123show at rthk.hk. That's 123show at rthk.hk. We're talking about marital relationships and the impact of that from COVID-19 and also divorce. Uh, we'll continue with that after the 2.30 news. Welcome back. You're listening to The Agenda Cafe this afternoon on RTHK Radio 3 with me, Karen Ko and Noreen Nia. Today, we're tackling the topic of divorce in this COVID-19 environment, and we're joined by two um, partners in the divorce and family team at the law firm Withers. We have Rita Ku and Samantha Gershon both joining us for this afternoon afternoon show. So before the break, we were talking about um, some cases of 
of couples who have been separated by country and either the the courts have asked uh, the family to come back to Hong Kong uh, or there are different different ways that these kinds of things um, can work out. And I was just wondering, um, Rita and Samantha, so you were saying that the courts have been closed for a few months um, and that's really meant that a lot of decisions either can't go ahead or people can't actually file anything for divorce. It, is that still, still the situation now and how does how does that look going forward? Uh, the actual. I'm afraid we're, we're just getting reconnected um, with the Wi-Fi, so we'll, we'll, we'll be connecting uh, with Samantha and also Rita in in a short while. Um, okay, I think we've got them back. Uh, Samantha and Rita, are yes. you on? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, we lost you for here. a minute. That's okay. Uh, the the courts themselves are running to about 50% capacity at the moment, but the registry where you file the, the documents are, are, are open. So that's good for us now. We did have a period of nearly four months where the registry was closed, and that caused terrible delay for some cases. And we had, at one time, we had Christmas, we then had the Chinese New Year break and then the courts closed immediately afterwards. So some cases were delayed for nearly six months, uh, sort of paper-wise, so the divorces were held up. So that was really bad for a lot of clients and very frustrating for people. But the courts themselves, for the hearing-wise, they've tried to keep themselves going now, at least, rather than shut totally. Yeah. And uh, at the moment, uh, well, actually, the few months ago, uh, the court is only dealing with, uh, mostly dealing with the children matters because they see it as the urgent matter to deal with. Uh, they have, uh, for most of the cases, they have adjourned the, the, the hearings about finances. Uh, in one of my uh, cases, actually, we were about to go to trial. The divorce started in 2018. And we were about to have a five-day trials in April uh, to deal with the split of the matrimonial assets. So, uh, but at the very last minute, the trial was cancelled, and uh, it has to be adjourned to the to December this year. Mm. So, um, the good thing for that, as I said, we've always looked for positive, is that uh, we can't do anything with the court system, but we were managed to use the new system in Hong Kong, which is the private financial adjudication to help the parties to resolve the differences. Well, actually, it is like the arbitration in the commercial litigation cases. Uh, we deal with the whole trial privately by paying for a retired judge. Um, the whole process is just like um, the trial in court. And within two months, we were having, we were starting from preparing for this private financial adjudication to having a decision. So the, the, the case is now done instead wow. of waiting wow. until the end of the year. So I think this is a very effective way to deal with fine, uh, to deal with the disputes during this COVID period. Yeah. And this case is the first ever case yeah. in Hong Kong dealing wow. with the private financial yeah. adjudication. When, when was it introduced, the private financial adjudication? Uh -huh. um, it was actually introduced nearly six years ago, and it's well, very, and it's it's very embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's extremely embarrassing. Uh, the practice direction literally came in. It would be six years next January. So and 
it was going to be extended, but only if we could at least have one case and it just wasn't happening. And because of COVID coming in, there was actually a group of nearly 20 of us who speeded up the training, which we did by Zoom. And actually a number of us have taken the exam so that we can be proper private financial adjudicators. We're still waiting for the exam result. Oh, wow. It's a bit scary. So six years ago yeah. and you get retired judges to help with the process. What is the process and what cases would qualify for this private uh, financial adjudication? Well, it, it's only financial cases, so no children's cases, unfortunately. So we can't deal with access or anything like that. Uh, so... But any cases that deal with the finances could potentially be dealt with by this, this scheme. And it doesn't necessarily have to be retired judges, but because no one's been fully trained and well, we've, we've done the exam, but we don't have the exam result yet. And until people have been gone through that proper process, we're using a retired judge because we know that everybody can trust that retired judge to give a proper decision that everyone can rely upon. And what is the setting of that? It, obviously, it's not going to court. Um, what no, is the setting no. of, of, of the private financial adjudication? Well, actually, we went to, on, on this case, we went to the arbitration center. Uh, we booked the biggest room uh, overseeing the harbor. And then we have <laughs> the same setting. We have the same setting as in court with the judge sitting in the front. We have the witness stand for the parties to give evidence. We have uh, two, two tables, two desks for uh, lawyers. So it is exactly the same procedure as in court but we pay for the retired judge to be the judge and we pay oh, yeah. for the venue as the courtroom. Wow. So do you, I mean, obviously you must expect this is going to become a lot more popular. Is yes, it quite expensive um, though? To, I mean, it sounds expensive. Is it more expensive well, than going to court? And court is already expensive. Uh, well, it really depends on whether you think time should be spent. Yes. We should wait for that long for the disputes to be resolved. Or you give you spend a bit of money to get that resolved quickly. So for the private financial adjudication, the timetable actually is in your hand. You can coordinate with the other side for the best timetable to suit everybody. We don't need to worry about the court diary. We don't need to worry about the venue. But if it is a court hearing, you have no choice but to wait until the end of the of the year for the five days trial. And also, what I was telling the client is that. Because of the lapse of time, they need to spend more legal costs to update the financial uh, information. Mm. So it mm. costs them money too. When you compare both options, it makes sense for them to, to deal with it quickly rather than to delay it. Now, the other thing is when you hold it in an actual courtroom, uh, the court doesn't necessarily start on time. It may be a 10.30 hearing, but the judge has to fit in other cases beforehand. You know, sometimes you don't go on to 11.30, then there'll be a proper break for lunch, and then the court gets up again at 4.30 in the afternoon. But with private adjudication, the, the, the private adjudicator can decide what time it can start. You can start earlier at 9 o'clock in the morning, and you can, you can then keep going till 7 o'clock at night if you all agree that it's good to keep going because you don't want to lose the momentum. You know, right. you have that flexibility. All right, all right. You've persuaded me, lady. <laughs> yes, I'll go for the private financial adjudication. Is, um, is, there just, is there only one judge at the moment who can do this in Hong Kong? No, no, no. Yeah. 
Well, we're hoping there are going to be about 20 people who'll be able to do it soon. <laughs> wow. Yeah the, yeah, the reason that we chose the retired judge because, uh, firstly, those who were taking the exam, they, didn't, they don't have the result yet, so they don't know whether they are qualified. And with the tight timing, the most convenient choice is to find a retired judge who has experience in family law right. to deal with it. So uh, at the moment, there are few retired judges, retired family judges in Hong Kong. So it would be useful for them to, for us to pick them to start with the process. Mm. It sounds like a very good alternative. Um, I have a few friends who got divorced and the financial part of their settlement was just awful. <laughs> it just went on forever. Yeah. And it was yes. every tiny little thing that, we, that kept um, being brought up. And to that end, one thing I'm curious about is, uh, of course, we, we all hope our marriages will last and are not going to end in divorce. But what things can couples do in advance while they're still married to make this fair and, and not something that's just colored by emotion or hatred or a feeling of revenge or something like that? Well, I think the most commonly used um, method is before they get into marriage, they sign a prenuptial agreement. Mm. So prenuptial agreement is not binding in Hong Kong as yet because the Hong Kong court still retains its jurisdiction to decide what is fair and the right thing to do. But it is um, becoming com- uh, well, it's increasingly common for parties to think about prenuptial agreement so that they set out in the agreement what they would like to exclude in the future if there is a divorce or what they would like to share uh, at the time of the divorce. So um, yeah. uh, in the past, I don't think there are a lot of like the local Chinese would love it. But these days, uh, it's becoming more and more popular. And very often, those coming in for inquiries about prenuptial agreement is not the parties themselves. It's their parents. Oh, because they because, really want to preserve their wealth. Right, yeah. yes. Yeah, because that often happens that, you know, your son or daughter gets married and the spouse decides, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I have yeah. access to all these assets that my in-laws yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, I, I like the case studies that uh, Samantha and Rita, you've been sharing earlier. A- another one that, that sort of came into mind was sort of, you know, Hong Kong has suffered from, from a sort of one-two punch from the protests and now with COVID. Mm. People, some people are thinking of relocating also. So what happens, um, you know, this is with children involved, what happens if one party wants to relocate with the children um, but a former partner uh, doesn't give consent? Well, if they don't give consent, then they have to apply to the court and make an application and give the reasons why it's important for them to relocate, what life they have in that other country as to why it's better for them to move there and what's in the best interest of, of their child. Um, but but, but, the, the, but they, the problem is that um, we don't know what, what the courts will say at the moment. Mm. But, but, but what you, you do have, there, there is something in the courts called a, a CDR, so the, the Children's Dispute Resolution. So it doesn't go straight to a proper trial. It would, the CDR is the equivalent of, sort of like a, a semi-mediation. So the judge sort of sits as a mediator and, and will give the, sort of their preliminary view on what would happen. So you hope that the parties don't 
fight over that relocation and that they will try and resolve it somehow. That is if they can't go to mediation outside the court system. Yeah. Because mediation is always there as, as an option, which we, we often advise our clients to go to mediation first. Okay. Another thing is that the deed of guardianship is quite popular during COVID-19. Can you explain to our listeners uh, what is the deed of guardianship? Yeah, the, the DD of guardianship is definitely important. I mean, I can give you an example that um, I have a client who actually got COVID, was taken into hospital, and I got a message from the client. The client realized they didn't have a will. They were separated from their children because the children had to go into quarantine. And luckily, the children uh, were much older, so that we're not talking about small children. But it really then we realize that what happens if they're an expat family, you normally rely on relatives to come in from an, from another country into Hong Kong to look after the children if something awful happened to you. But you've got a case where, one, you don't know if they can leave that other country, the relatives, or even if they can and they arrive in Hong Kong, what happens if they have to be quarantined when they do arrive in Hong Kong? And you know, what do you do time. in that situation? It takes time That's for right. the relatives to come. So what is that mm. temporary sort of custodian? Well, yeah, who's the temporary guardians in, in that case? Cor correct. So, you know, if you do nothing, then, you know, the children may be taken into care. You know, you don't want that situation to occur. So that's why we suggest that there is a deed of temporary guardianship because in the person's will they should have the actual guardian noted in the will but in the interim someone in hong kong or a couple in hong kong are named as that temporary guardianship guardian so if something happens to you there's someone in Hong Kong who can look after your children for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For, for a lot of expat families, like you said, Samantha, they don't have their family here, but they have helpers here who would normally look after the children. But I'm just thinking yeah. if the employer should unfortunately die in an instant, does that mean that the, the, the contract with the helper, with the domestic helper, is instantly terminated or instantly stopped? So she can't even stay in Hong Kong. Uh, to look after the children and she couldn't be a guardian then yeah. correct so that's why we don't act, we suggest you don't name the helper in, in that temporary deed of guardianship for exactly that reason even though of course a helper is often part of your family yes. and you want them to look, look after, after your the children, children. Yeah. Exactly. you trust them yes of course you do but it and also if you have that deed of temporary guardianship you know you may have it for a number of years Sometimes you change your helper. So maybe it's not a good idea to have a helper for that reason as well in that deed. Actually, it sounds like having that deed of guardianship available is is a good idea at any time because you just never know what what might happen. And if you're here as an expat and you really don't have any other family, um, it, it'll be great to have a, another responsible couple or family being able to take care of your kids. Yeah. It, it def definitely is, but we, people should revisit that even if they have them now. It's like I've got two couples down who are down as guardians for my children, and at one time, both sets were isolating because of COVID. So you know, if something did happen to me, and both sets of my guardians, some, they were in isolation, then what would have happened to my kids? Right. So you know, maybe you have to think outside the box. Maybe you shouldn't have the same sets of friends down as your guardians. You know, so there's lots of things to think about. Yeah, and, and also yeah, if you think, have... Yeah. Sorry, Rita, go on. No, no, I'm saying that it's particularly important for the expatriate families mm -hmm. when they don't have any family members in Hong Kong. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you, how do you set up that document? Is it just something you you can do very easily? Uh, with our help, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, for a lot of expat families, maybe they have um, a, a will or a deed of guardianship from overseas. Now, I understand that maybe with different jurisdictions, we may not be able to enact uh, those, uh, whatever is stated in the deed. So if you have a couple that are Aussie, for example, and, and will their deed of guardianship be applicable in, in Hong Kong or will the children still be taken into temporary care uh, appointed by the government? Well, it's something we need to look at. It depends what's in the wording. I mean, I, on, oh. we can't say without reading it. Yeah, mm. I think the key is to make sure that um, the guardian will be someone on, on the ground. Yeah. So, so it's a Kong. it's a good idea to have a separate document that's written and signed in Hong Kong for yes. specifically yes. your life in Hong Kong. Mm. Yes. Yeah, well, mm. wonderful. It's such an interesting discussion yeah. uh, with you both, Samantha <laughs> and Rita. Um, Karen has one more yeah, question. Yeah, I have another. I I, I, we, we talked very briefly about prenuptial agreements before um, and how, you know, we, we're not really sure where they stand legally in Hong Kong, but they're becoming more popular. But I, I understand there's also things called postnuptial agreements. What What are they? Postnuptial well, agreements. Yeah. Oh. Post agreements. <laughs> Way to spring that on me, Karen. What's that? Uh, it's just um, uh, different in timing because it's one is prenuptial. This is signed before you get married, and postnuptial is something that you signed after marriage. But you might have thought that, oh my God, after I'm going through this prenuptial agreement, I have to revisit the postnuptial agreement. Well, it really depends on the circumstances. Not everyone. Having signed the prenuptial agreement, they need to sign the postnuptial agreement. And mm. how useful the prenuptial agreement in court really depends on the circumstances of the case. I've always told my clients, well, even if you have signed a prenuptial agreement with good legal advice, with financial disclosure, uh, uh, with with and the terms affairs back in at the time of the signing, if this marriage is long enough, like 20 years, I think it would be difficult for the court to uphold the prenuptial agreement which was signed 20 years ago because you can imagine there must have been a lot of changes in their lives. So under those circumstances for long marriages or for marriages which have off, which have a lot of uh, substantial changes, then they need to have a postnuptial agreement to confirm their agreements. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I was thinking after you get divorced, you sign another agreement. <laughs> After the nuptials well, are all over. <laughs> uh, well, for lawyers, it, it would be good to say that, okay, you might have to sign a postnuptial agreement every year upon your anniversary. Mm. But of course, no. This is not a practical thing to do. So we've often advised clients that you do it only when there is any substantial yeah. change to your circumstances. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much to our expert panel, wonderful guests today, talking about uh, the topic of uh, marital relationships and also divorce. I'd like to thank them very much. Uh, and we've been speaking to Rita Koo and Samantha Gershon, uh, both partners in the in the divorce and family team at law firm Withers. Thank you very much, uh, Samantha and Rita, thank for you. joining thank us. You. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Great thank discussion. You.